This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. We've been talking about for the last uh, few weeks, talking about, you know, providence, God's foresight and his forethought and the provisions that he's made. And the scripture tells us that he'll lead us and guide us in the best pathway for our life. And when we're following his pathway, we'll always find his provisions made for us. Always, 100% of the time, always, when you're following the best pathway that he has for your life. That's just the way it is. And we have discovered there, there are dozens and dozens of things in the providence of God that he provides for you, for us. Because he loves us and he cares about us. Some are just natural, physical, material, financial, uh, spiritual, you know, things, emotional, the relationship. It's just in every area that a human can have a need, the providence of God, he, he, he meets our needs in absolutely phenomenal and amazing kinds of ways. So I'd like to give you a little bit of a review of where we was at last week. And then we'll launch into some uh, new areas this week. But uh, I'd like to read my foundational scripture for last week. And it says here in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, it says, it says, And herein do I exercise myself. This is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's saying, I got to do my own exercise, you know, and all. Nobody can do it for me. Herein do I exercise myself to have always, 100% of the time, we understand that. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void, which means empty of offense toward God and toward man. He says always. And let me just uh, remind you of what the offense is. The offense... Y'all probably remember this. Maybe I'll need another volunteer. I'm not sure if I can get one up here or not. Excuse me. Fingers, toes. Teddy. I'm not even going to ask for a volunteer because I didn't get one last week. So I'll just be my own volunteer. But the Bible tells us that when we are offended, that means when you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you have resentment, you're, you're nursing a grudge. This word offense is the same word for that thing right there. It's called scandalon. It's, it's the trigger. It's where you put the cheese at. You know what I'm saying? And that's what we were talking about last week. And, uh, so when Paul says, I exercise my conscience, you know, uh, to be void of offense. That means I'm, I'm not going to touch where they put the cheese no more. Does anybody want to touch where they put the cheese? No hands went up in the whole place. I just got to do it myself, I reckon. <laughs> but you understand 
that where the cheese goes, when the rat comes over there and he touches the trigger, he's going to get trapped. He's going to get caught, correct? Well, I didn't know I could do that. What is that? Oh, oh that's that. <sighs> 66 years old, and I haven't got caught yet. <laughs> now, I know my age and my speed and all is going to change one of these days. But what we're talking about, if you've got offense in your heart, if you've got bitterness, resentment, somebody has hurt you, whether they're here on this planet now or they've already gone to heaven. Paul says, I exercise my conscience to be empty of offense toward God and toward man. And what I didn't really clarify in all the services last week is the exercising part. I've had people come to the altar and they told me that they were bitter. And, and bitter unforgiveness and bitterness it genuinely is and you look it up it defines it that way it's poison it poisons your system it brings misery into your life and we don't want to ever invite that into our life but people have come here and, and say I just you know I've got this bitterness and all and I'd challenge them and share God's word and pray for them and they'd say thank you and go their way and the next week they'd come back and go it didn't work you know, yes it did work no it didn't work well see what happens is if you got bitterness or resentment in your life towards somebody, and then you forgive them, you release them, you ask God to bless them, and then someone's talking about them. Say, hey, hey, do you know something? And you start listening, and you start talking, you start thinking about this person, and you put your finger back on the trap. You, you touch the trigger again, and you, you can get trapped again. You take up that offense again. So the exercise comes here. You forgive somebody. Father, I declare that they're innocent. They're not guilty because I forgive them. And I ask you to forgive them and ask you to bless them, Papa God. And, and then when the offense starts trying to creep back up, and it might be 10 times a day for the first day, maybe two times the next day, and maybe just once a week and you're thinking about them and you kind of start taking that offense and this is what you do, God. I specifically remember last week, last month, whenever it was, that I forgave them. I forgave them for the pain they inflicted upon me, whether it was imagined or if it was genuinely real. I forgive them. I ask you to forgive them and ask your blessings upon them. And months pass, and then you start thinking about them, and maybe the offense tries to sneak back up, get you to put your hand in that trap. And you oh, Papa God, I, I remember six months ago, I forgave them. That's the exercising. You exercise your contents to be empty, to, vo to be void of the scandal on, to be void of having bitterness and resentment, and to be void of nursing a grudge. I ain't going to nurse no grudge. I mean, why in the world would you want to nurse a grudge? Do we have any nurses who are here right now in the congregation? No nurses? Oh, okay. I'm sure I'd have one. Wow. Well, you know, I have a grudge. I just want you to meet him. If, this here is a grudge. If, 
He's not been feeling well. He's got a little runny nose. He's not feeling all that good. So I, I figured we're just going to nurse him. Yeah, I feel the same way. Why would you nurse a grudge? What's, what's, what's the idea behind nursing somebody? To get them feeling better. So they'll grow. So they can do what they were created to do. Make your life miserable. That's what a grudge. If you're going to nurse a grudge, and if you're holding a grudge against somebody, and you're nursing him, he's just, the grudge is going to grow, and he's going to get bigger and more destructive, and his whole goal is to make your life miserable and destroy you. The, the Bible says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and all of it's his fullness. Now, I just want you to get down there in the corner and stay out of my sight for a while. Ah. Down there at the bottom of that thing. Let's get down there. D does anybody really want to nurse a grudge? Why would you want a grudge or bitterness or poison or resentment to get stronger in your life? You know, more destructive in your life. You don't want to do that. Absolutely not. Uh, anyhow, let me, uh, let me read you something here. Stay away from the trigger. Remember that. Stay away from where they put the cheese. You know, when it's like bitterness, resentful, unforgiveness. Stay away because it's, it's got a trap there and it will hurt you. Um, during World War II, the U.S. submarine tank surfaced under the cover of darkness to fire upon a large Japanese convoy off the coast of China. Since previous raids had left the American vessel with only eight torpedoes, the accuracy of every shot was absolutely essential. The first seven missiles were right on target, but when the eighth was launched, it suddenly deviated. It was... For real, this actually happened. It suddenly deviated and headed right back at their own ship. The emergency alarm to submerge rang out, but it was too late. Within a matter of seconds, the U.S. sub received a direct hit and sank almost instantly. Through hostility toward other people, we can actually destroy ourselves. Do, do, do we want to destroy ourselves? By nursing a little old grudge? You know? Do we want to destroy ourselves by taking up an offense? And, and I have met and ministered to people who didn't just have a trap. They had dozens of traps on them. They were offended and they were bitter. They were resentful. And it's bringing absolute chaos and, and, and misery to their lives. And, and you end up, because of our hostility toward others, we destroy ourselves. And, and Jesus, he had some people really mean to him when they beat him terribly before the crucifixion. And then they crucified him on the cross and let him hang there in absolute misery. And you remember right before he, he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
He didn't take up an offense. He didn't touch the scandal on, you know. He was not nursing any grudge, not at all, you know. So it's important for us to remember that small things, it, it don't have to be a great big grudge, does it? It'll grow in time. You know? I mean, you think this one really hurt anybody, right? Can I toss it to somebody? John, will you? <laughs> you ask the mouse, does it hurt, okay? A little one can hurt you as well as a bigger one. You know what I'm saying? Anyhow, let me get back to where I was going here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says what is faith it is a confident assurance it's being sure it's being confident what is faith it is a confident assurance that what we hope for hope is the confident expectation for the future what is faith it is the confidence assurance that what we hope for is going to happen it is the evidence it's the proof it is the evidence of things we cannot, what's that next word? Yes. Yet. See, it don't mean you'll never see it. It's just not right this moment. It's the confidence. It's the hope. For it's going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot yet see. But we will see. Verse 2 says, God gave his approval. To people in the days of old because of what? Their faith. And God gives his approval today on men and women who have faith. And the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. That, that, that's what it tells us. Faith comes by hearing God's word. You read God's word, it produces faith. This assurance, this, this confidence, there's this evidence that faith is rising up on the inside of you. God gave his approval to people in days of old because of their faith. And our faith today attracts God's approval. If you want your prayers answered, in verse 3 it says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now, let me explain that passage here. Imagine... You came in here today, and there was three pretty nice homemade birdhouses right here. And they're painted red, and they look really good, you know. And over here, you get newspaper laid on the, the platform up here, and you get a, um, a gallon unopened, I mean uh, opened, a gallon of red paint. You got a paintbrush there. It's got red paint on it there and some drips all over the thing there. And you've got a hammer. Got a couple of boards laying up here. You got a hammer. He's got these little nails. You got saws and all. And it's very easy to figure this puzzle out. Pastor Ron made these birdhouses, right? I mean, it's very obvious. Red birdhouses, the paint matches exactly. Fresh cut lumber over there. It's like, you made these birdhouses. You got the same kind of nails in there. And the two of you figure that out because you're smart people. Truth of it is, I bought the birdhouses at Walmart. It, it looks like 
I built them, but somebody else was painting something for Super Church, and they left their stuff here. And it made you think that, oh, I made the birdhouses right there. It looks that way, doesn't it? It looks that way. Now, listen what it says here. By faith, we understand, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. When he said, let there be light. And God created everything exactly when he said he would. And the earth is not near as old as you think it is. He created things with the appearance of age. He created a man. Man looked like he was like, you know, 26 years old. You know, six foot two, eyes is blue, and all this kind of stuff. You know, he didn't create Adam as a baby. He created man with the appearance of age. And he created trees. They looked like they had age on them. But it says here... By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we see, what we see, birdhouses, redwood trees, men, women, animals, rivers, that what we, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see, birdhouses, did not come from anything that can be seen. Like paint and people who reject God and they write scientific books and they say, well, the earth is like a trillion years old and this happened and this happened and some little piece of slime, you know, got splashed up on the sand and it got there and it came alive and it turned into this and this and this and this and turned into a great big old gorilla that happens to be your grandmama and you are her relative and here we are. It appears that way to them. So they write books and they teach us that God had nothing to do with creation. But the Bible tells us through faith, through faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command just the way he says so in his book and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Verse 4 says, it was by faith that Abel, and you know who Abel was? Abel had a brother named Cain. That was Adam and Eve's sons. It was by faith that Abel, he brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Now, Cain didn't like Abel. He was jealous. God accepted Abel's offering to, to show that he was a righteous man. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us because of his faith. His faith in God and his brother Cain murdered him because he was so jealous of him. But we've learned what faith and obedience did for Abel. He is a highlight, you know. He, he is our example to follow. really is. And he goes on to say here, uh, verse 5, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. It's a prototype of what the rapture is. I don't know if you know what the rapture is. We'll talk about that soon. But the rapture is when believers will be caught up to be with the Lord. They will not have to die. It says, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Suddenly he disappeared because God took him. But before he was taken up, he was approved as pleasing to God because of his faith. Men and women who have faith... You find the approval of God because you believe what God says in his word. That's where faith comes from. Verse 6 says, so you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. 
100%, he says here, anyone, 100% who wants to come to him, God, must believe, have faith, must believe that there is a God and that he, God, rewards those. He, he, he makes him flourish. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know, you, you know the, the, the Bible tells us that the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, when you start hearing people talk about the person who offended you, it's nursing that little old grudge there. You know? So when you hear people talking about those people, do you see God? But once you have forgiven them and you have gotten out of the trap and you hear their name, you see God. You go, thank you, God, for opening my eyes to the forgiveness you extended to me. And thank you that I was able, by your grace, to forgive other people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Because when we have forgiven other people, we go, and, and I've been there lots of times myself, Papa God, thank you. Thank you for giving me the wisdom and the insight to see that. And I thank you that you forgave them. And I see how you worked in my life through that whole ordeal. And drew me closer to you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who don't have their hand in the trap. Those who no longer nurse the, uh, the uh, what was the guy who lived in his bag? The grudge. You can't find him. If you nurse a grudge, he multiplies. And he grows and he gets bigger. Does anybody want to take some grudges home with them today? Because if anybody wants to leave their grudges behind, you can just put them up here. And if you want a grudge and nurse it, when you take, you take, you can grab their grudge and take it home. Now this is going to make your life more miserable. You do know that, right? And bring destruction to you, to everything that's dear to you. Ew. Yeah, that's the best way to stay. Now y'all leave these people alone. You, you hear me? I don't like the way their eyes are looking at me. <laughs> Anyhow, where was I at here? Anyhow. Um, oh, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. And it was by faith. Faith. It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. And it's by faith you and I can... Save our family from judgments that's to come because we pray for them and we love them and we share the good news and the gospel to them and because we obey God. And, and he's telling us here, if I can find it again, what verse was I on? It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. <laughs> Providence, that ark was. He obeyed God. And who had warned him about something that had never happened before. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. It says, and then Jesus, as Jesus is talking, then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in education. 
Oh, I'm sorry. These are progressive glasses, and sometimes if you don't get it quite right, it's hard. Things just kind of blur. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in science. Uh, I'm sorry. We'll get it here. Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in politics. Uh, I'm sorry. It starts with G. Oh, I, I see it now. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in government. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I do see it now for real. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. That's what Jesus said. Have faith in God. In God. Have faith in God. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, I assure you that you can say to this mountain, what kind of a mountain do you have? A mountain of poverty? A mountain of sickness or disease? Or a mountain of emotional or mental issues? Or or a mountain of what kind of a mountain is coming against you in your life? And he says, I assure you that you can say to this mountain, may God lift you up and throw you into the sea and your command will be obeyed. And that's what Jesus says to you. All that is required is that you really believe. That you really believe and do not doubt in your heart. You just got to believe what what you're praying for. And you're speaking to that mountain of of problems. And you tell them to be gone and cast into the sea. And, And Jesus said, and this is the truth. Uh, the, the, this, is, this is spectacular. All is required, Jesus says, is that you really believe and do not doubt in your heart. Verse 24, Jesus says, listen to me. You can pray f- for anything. What percentage is anything? 100%. 100%. You can pray for anything. And if you believe, that means if you have faith, if you believe, you will have it. But when you are praying, 12th, oh, but when you're praying first, first thing you do, not second, third, fourth, fifth, not 12th. When you are praying first, forgive. First, get your hand out of the trap. First, get rid of the grudge. First, he's telling us, don't touch the scandal on. Don't touch the trigger stick. Don't touch where you put the bait. He says, first, forgive anyone. And that means everyone. Forgive. This is providence that we can forgive. Forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. If you're holding a grudge and you're nursing a grudge, you got to understand, that is really, really bad. It's just like having like 12 full-grown rattlesnakes just loose in your house somewhere. Would that be healthy for you and your family? I don't think so. And it is not healthy to be holding a grudge. He's going to bite you. And if you nurse him, he's just going to get bigger and bite you harder and devour you and make your life and all of your loved ones' lives miserable. So you can't have forgive, unforgiveness in your heart toward anybody. That's what he's telling us right here, you know. And the size of the trap really don't matter. All right, let me see here. Mm-hmm. 
Huh, yeah. These are a little bit more adventurous. I've only played with these since last night. You okay? I'm okay. <laughs> okay, I just need a volunteer. I don't think I'm going to put my hand on that one. Use another trap. Is that a good idea? Use another trap or your hand, which you prefer. <laughs> Didn't even work. Ah. You ever hear of the term a stronghold? This rascal's got a stronghold on this trap here. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any strongholds in your life? Unforgiveness brings a stronghold in your life. Resentment, a grudge, being bitter towards somebody else creates a stronghold. It takes faith in the almighty God to get free from those strongholds. And you think, well, okay, you got free from one. Okay, you think that's okay? You got free from one of those traps? There's more than one. Have you experienced a lot of traps the devil's trying to get you to, to step into? I got some more bags of traps in the car. I'll be right back. Now, this is enough to prove the point, I think, is it not? There are lots of traps in this life that will try to get you in a stronghold of bitterness. So you have been trapped. And, and the grudge can just destroy your life. Make everything miserable. And once you get a trap, you're going to get another one and another one and another one. And before you know it, they're just everywhere and you can hardly move anymore. Oh. But when you are praying, verse 25, Mark 11, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. If, if you don't forgive somebody else, Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. That sounds pretty, pretty tragic. If you don't forgive somebody else, Jesus is the one who's telling us the Father will not forgive your sins is what he's telling us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says, and then Peter came to him and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone, anyone? Uh, how often should I forgive my wife? Every time. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't hear what you're saying, dear. <laughs> how often 
should I forgive my brother? How often should I forgive my sister? Or, or, or how often should you forgive your, your husband? Probably a whole lot. <laughs> Just forgive him all the time, right, honey? <laughs> Let's don't answer that question there. You know, how often should I forgive my mom or my dad or my uncle or my aunt? How often should I forgive my closest friend? How often should I forgive my enemy? This is the question that is being asked. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? That includes everybody. Uh, no, no name, no gender, no relation. How often should I forgive someone? Who sins against me? And then he thinks he's doing really good. Seven times? You know, I mean, who talks about forgiving them seven times? Just, about, just forgive them once is what they're thinking about. But how often should I forgive them? And this is in a single day, of course. If somebody lets the air out of your tires, you know, like seven times, you know, it's what he's saying, well, I'll just forgive them. Seven times in a single day for the, 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 the left rear tire. And then you got to start counting again on the front tires. And then tomorrow morning, you can't keep that number. You got to start all over again, forgiving someone, regardless of what it is that they have done against you. And Jesus says, No, not seven times. 22. No, Jesus replied, Seven times, 70 times seven. How many, how many is that? 490 times in a single day for the same offense. And if you're keeping really good numbers, then you start all over again tomorrow. Say, oh, it was 489 times they did that, but uh, it's the first time they did it today. You know. Jesus says, yeah, you can't keep up with it. You just forgive. You just keep on forgiving, you know. And then in verse 23... See, if, if you don't forgive, you're trapped. If you don't forgive, there's a stronghold got a hold of you. If you don't forgive, the grudges are making your life miserable and they're growing and they're going to eat you alive. If you don't forgive. And Jesus, he said, no, he said, 70 times 7. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his account up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay. So the king ordered that he... His wife, his children, and everything, 100% that he had would be sold to pay the debt. And it still wouldn't come near it. But the man, he fell down before the king and he begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me and I will pay it all. Ain't no possibility that he could pay it all. Not in that day and time, not a couple million bucks. There's no way he could have done it. But he's begging. He's just grasping at straws, trying to do something. And verse 27, it says, and then the king, this is right here in your Bible. Jesus is telling us this. And then the king was filled with, with pity for him. He, he showed this guy mercy. He didn't deserve it. And the king released him, set him free, and he forgave his debt. 
he got to keep the house. You know? He got to keep all of his designer robes and sandals and everything. He got to keep the two-chariot garage. And he got to keep the, the beachfront property on the Sea of Galilee. He, this guy was pardoned for a few million bucks. And he was so ecstatic, the king pardoned him and forgave him. Would that impact your life? You would think it would impact your life, you know? Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, For you, dear friends, have been called to live in freedom. Kind of like that guy was freed, was he not? You know? And if Jesus sets us free from all of our past sins, it should cause us to represent him well. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He forgives everybody, you know? And it says here, if, if you, dear friends, have been called to live in freedom, for you, dear friends, have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That's what a lot of people do, do here in our nation. We want to have the freedom to hurt people if we want to. We want to have the freedom to do all kinds of horrible things to babies or, or, or to adults or different classes. Or We want to have the freedom to do as we jolly well please. That's what a lot of people want freedom for. But he says here, for you, dear friends, have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. God has set us free, so we'll serve others in love. Let's go on to verse 28 here, Matthew 18, 28. It says, but when the, the man left the king, he's just been pardoned for a few million dollars, he went to a church and gave thanks to God. That would have been nice, but it ain't what he did. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant, a servant just like himself, who owed him a few thousand dollars. Probably he had let the servant borrow a couple thousand dollars. Where'd that money come from? Well, he had taken it from the king, a few million dollars, so he let this guy borrow it. Owed him a few thousand dollars. He didn't ask him if he could pay him back. But he grabbed this, this other servant who's just like him, who owed him a couple thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. Boy, he felt powerful. I've just been pardoned by the king. A few million dollars. Now, you owe me a couple thousand. Give it to me now. He felt really empowered. He wasn't trying to serve anybody you know Henry Ward Beecher he says pride kills gratitude pride it kills gratitude humility is the soil from which gratitude grows humility produces gratitude that causes you to flourish it's just the way it is and a proud man is seldom a grateful man. A proud man is seldom a grateful man. For he never thinks he gets as much as he really deserves. So says Henry Ward Beecher. You know, it's like I deserve more than you do. I've been just been pardoned for a few million dollars and I want my couple thousand dollars now. 
You don't deserve the same forgiveness that I just received. See how pride acts? This is better than everybody else. Anyhow, let's pick back up here. Matthew 18, verse 29 says, His fellow servant fell down before him, and he begged him for a little more time. Be patient, and I will pay it, he pleaded. Now, the first servant could have never paid a few million dollars back. But this guy, given some time and some creativity and some some friends and some business marks, he could have eventually paid that couple thousand dollars back. He could have. But the other guy who owed the millions, he could have never paid it back. Verse 30, it says, but his creditor, the guy had been forgiven the millions of dollars, but his creditor wouldn't wait. See, a prideful, self-centered man thought, I'm more important than you are. That's what pride does to us. And as it goes on to say there in verse 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait, and he had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. I don't understand where people get this concept like, yeah, I'll put him in jail so he can't work, and then he's got to pay the debt off. It's like, how do you generate funds from jail? You know? I just don't think that's a smart thing to do. But there's no compassion and no mercy. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, Look at the proud. This is what the Bible says. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked, corrupt, dishonest. But the righteous will live by their what? By their faith. Hmm. See, that rich man... Now he's rich because the king had pardoned him. You know, he, he had abandoned his faith now and he schemed. How can I get ahead? Oh, you owe me some money. Come here. I want it now. You got to pay me now. It says here in verse 31, Matthew 18, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king. They tattletailed, really. And, and they told him what had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant. Been nursing a grudge. You, 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 you've touched the trigger stick. You, you got unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment in your heart. You got a stronghold in your life. He says, you evil serpent, I forgave you that tremendous debt of millions because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, shouldn't you, have, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? D.O. Moody was one of the greatest Christian evangelists who ever lived. He could hold a crowd in the palm of his hand He won thousands of converts to faith in Christ and established several Christian institutions. Yet he never displayed the pompous air of self-importance that so many famous evangelists did in that era. He was a tolerant, understanding man who rarely criticized one of his famous sayings was, right now, this this is D.L. Moody speaking, right now, I'm having so much trouble with D.L. Moody that I don't have time to find fault with other people. (laughs) Is anybody here, you ever have trouble with you? Some of you even right now having problems like, 
I, I can't even say a yes, although it is yes, but then what will they think that I, I'm doing if I'm saying I have a problem with me sometimes, right? Right? We all have problems. You're exactly right. And D.L. Moody said, I have a problem with me. I, I don't have time to deal with other, you know, find other people's faults and things like that. That's a man of humility, not of, of pride, you know. Being humble involves a willingness to be considered a failure in everyone's sight except God's. Well, you can think what you want about me. What's really important is how God feels about me. And he's pardoned me and he's forgiven me. And I forgive you. Or you, if you only, it don't matter if I only knew. I forgive you because he forgave me. That, that's what we see in this scripture we just got through reading here. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, they that know God, you will be humble if, if you genuinely have a relationship with God. They that know themselves, you really can't be proud because you didn't invent the car or electricity. Everything we do, we're building on something somebody else did. And if when you really know yourself, it's like, well, I'm not really as smart as everybody thinks I am, you know, and I'm not really this and that. And, and if everybody really knew uh, my fears or my words or my anxiety, what would they think, you know? And, and we need to be honest with our, ourselves. Let me see, what scripture was I on here? Uh, I have a hard time remembering. Oh, verse 34? Does that sound like a good one? Anyhow. Maybe that's yeah, the yeah, I think. 18? Oh, you sure? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, guys. Y'all know how weak I am. I can't find my way around the Bible anymore. <laughs> Matthew 18, 4. That sounds like a good one. Let's start there. Therefore, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility is, is recognizing that God and others are responsible for the achievements you have. You can't take credit for everything that you do in life. You're building upon something somebody else did, you know? Verse 34 says, Then the angry king, the angry king, who had forgiven the guy the millions of bucks, then the angry king sent the man who was just full of himself and full of unforgiveness. Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. Listen to it. In the NIV, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be, what's that say? Tortured. Tortured. The King James Bible says he turned him over to the jailers to be tormented. Same as torture. You say, Jesus is saying this. You say, well, I don't really know about that. Well, let's look at verse 35. That's what does Jesus talk? That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your 
heart. The man who's been given, forgiven millions of dollars, he forfeited his, his right to flourish because he would not forgive. And Jesus says, you and I will be turned over to the tortures if we do not forgive others, if we don't get rid of the grudge, if we don't get rid of the stronghold. He, he says, we won't be. You were pardoned. You were forgiven. And now Jesus says, my father is going to turn you over to the jailers and to the tortures because you don't forgive other people. That's pretty serious. You think, well, I can just say, well, I ain't going to forgive them. Boom. You're not forgiven. You, you are not forgiven. You don't pass go. You don't collect your $200 to get you into heaven. You, you just don't do that. When you, I'm not going to forgive other people. I mean, the providence of God, God gives us the ability to forgive others. Same way Jesus did. By the power of his Holy Spirit. That's just the way it is. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It says, no, oh people. The Lord has already told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you to do what's right and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But a lot of people are stuck in the, what you call those things, the doldrums. You ever been stuck in the doldrums? Let me give you the definition of the doldrum. A state of inactivity, stagnation, spiritual inactivity, spiritual stagnation. The doldrum means a state of inactivity, stagnation, a dull, a depressed mood, the, the blues, the glooms, the misery. That's where we, we rust and, and weeds take over and we cease to flourish. That's the doldrums. You like being stuck in the doldrums where life is just boring and it's just a mess and it's just miserable because we won't forgive somebody who's hurt us. Be, be, because we nurture the, the grudge and it just devastates our, our life. Give it time. It will grow up enough to hurt you. It seems like, eh, it's not that big of a deal, but it will grow up and the grudge will hurt you. It says here in Psalms 138.6, it says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Wow. With pride, you just can't flourish. Oh, you may flourish in one area of your life, but you're not flourishing in the areas of your life that really count. God loves the humble, but God himself, he tells us he keeps his distance from the proud. Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord despises pride. He be assured that the proud will be punished. Just like we read what, what the king did to the guy who had been forgiven, but his forgiveness was withdrawn. Because of his unforgiveness toward other people, you see. Uh, real quick here. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee sinned by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially like this tax collector over there. 
for I never cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. Now, maybe we should honor, well, we should honor those principles. But this guy had a bad, rotten attitude. He was prideful, just prideful, just a self-centered guy, you know. Do we wish that people would speak well of us? We probably do. But if you really want to walk in humility, we just challenge you. uh, Don't speak well of yourself in a braggart kind of a way where you're lifting up yourself above other people. That's, that's what he's telling us in his word. Anyhow, it says in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed and said he, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified, forgiven, pardoned. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, You younger men, accept the authority of the elders. And all, 100% of you serve each other in humility. For God sets himself, God sets himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and in his good time, he'll honor you. Now there's a guy and it's a worthwhile little old book to read about Samuel Morris. He's a Christian, he came from Africa. Well, let me just read this article, this clip from it. But if you get a chance to read this, just a little book. He's a godly young man and He didn't become an old man. I'll just put it that way. But Samuel Morris, a devoted Christian from Africa who came to America as a life-changing, miraculous way he got here. He came to America to go to school because he loved Jesus. And although his pathway to service for Christ was not easy, his difficulties never deterred him. Perhaps... This was because he had learned genuine humility. One incident that showed this occurred when he arrived at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. He was asked by the school's president what room he wanted. And Sammy replied, if there is a room that nobody wants, give that one to me, sir. Later, the president commented, he said, I turned away for my eyes were full of tears. And I was asking myself whether I was willing to take what nobody else wanted. Wow. Or did I just, I, the best comes to me. There's a Mongolian folklore, this little fable, talks about these two geese who are about to start their southward uh, autumn migration And when they were uh, asked by a frog if the geese would take him with them. And on the geese expressing their willingness to help him if he could find some way to make it happen, the frog produced a long stalk of grass. And he got the two geese to take each ends of the grass in their beak while he clung to the middle of the, the, the grass with his mouth. 
In this manner, the three were making their journey when they were noticed from below by some men. And the men loudly expressed their admiration for the device and wondered who had been clever enough to discover how these two geese could take a frog down south. Whereupon the vainglorious frog opened his mouth to say, it was I. I figured it all out. And he lost his hold, fell to the earth, and was dashed to pieces. The moral. When you have a good thing going, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Think about that. How does that relate to us? You know? It says in Proverbs 22, 4, true humility and the fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and a long life. See, humility is nothing but truth, but pride is nothing but lies. Jonathan Edwards, he said, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Isn't that true? Okay, I want to close up here. There was a rich baker who He sent for 20 of the poorest children in his town, and he said to them, In this basket is a loaf of bread for each of you. Take one and come back every day, and I'll give you more. And immediately the youngsters began quarreling about who's going to get the largest loaf. Snatching from the basket, they left without even saying thank you to the baker. Gretchen, a poorly dressed little girl, patiently waited until... The others had left. She then took the smallest loaf, which was the only one in in the basket, and she kissed the old man's hand, and she went home. The next day, the scene was repeated. But when Gretchen's mother sliced this loaf, she found many shiny silver coins inside. And when Gretchen took the money back to the baker, he said, No, my child, it was not a mistake. I put them into the smallest loaf. To reward you. Would we take the smallest loaf? Sometimes the greatest blessing is in the smallest loaf because of humility, you know? I wish I were honest enough to admit all my shortcomings. I wish I was brilliant enough to accept flattery without it making me arrogant. I wish I was tall enough to tower above deceit. I wish I was strong enough to treasure love. I I wish I was brave enough to welcome criticism. I wish I was compassionate enough to understand human frailties. I wish I was wise enough to recognize my mistakes. I wish I was humble enough to appreciate greatness. I wish I was staunch enough to stand by my friends. I wish I was human enough to be thoughtful of my neighbor. I wish I was... Righteous enough to be devoted to the love of Almighty God. Well, our time is up, but hopefully we'll remember that we don't want strongholds in our life. Hopefully we'll remember not to touch where the cheese goes. That's that trigger stick, that the, that scandal on that releases the trap. And it hurts and brings pain and it puts me into bondage. And, and for unforgiveness does that. And hopefully we'll remember, don't nurse the grudge. 
It will multiply and get stronger and it will hurt you. And hopefully you and I will remember all the traps that there are to get us to be unforgiving, to get us to be unkind. We'll remember all these traps of the enemy of our soul. And they're small in the beginning, but then he goes to bigger and bigger, more powerful traps. And we'll remember, it's like, I don't want nothing to do with that. I want to walk in freedom. And I'll maintain freedom in my household and amongst my neighbors. And I'll maintain freedom with all of my relatives and all my loved ones and all my, uh, you know, uh, acquaintances. I want freedom. Because God has provided everything I need. And unforgiveness and resentment and grudges steals all that from me. I'd like us just to reaffirm our faith in God right now. So if you would just bow your heads with me, and Susan, if you would join me up here for just a couple minutes. If you would just bow your heads as we reaffirm our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are here in this building, and those who are joining us by listening and watching online, could you reaffirm your faith? And declare that Christ has forgiven you and set you free. Would you join me as we pray right now? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for loving me. And for sending your son Jesus. And for sending your son Jesus. And we know he paid for our sins. And we know he paid for our sins. With his shed blood. With his shed blood. He gave his life. He gave his life to pardon me. To pardon me. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And is knocking at the door of my heart. And is knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome Jesus. Into every area of my life. Into every area of my life. Help me, Almighty God. Help me, Almighty God. To demonstrate your forgiveness to me. To demonstrate your forgiveness to me. As I forgive others. As I forgive others. Set me free from the traps. Set me free from the traps. And set me free from the grudges. And set me free from the grudges. And may I truly be free. And may I truly be free. And walk in humility. And walk in humility. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my King. And as my King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.